Well, hello there. How are we? Welcome back to Here's Looking at You Film, a podcast for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. <laughs> Alright, I'll stop. Alright. Hi guys, how are we? Um, this is, uh, of course, Here's Looking at You Film, a podcast for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. My name is Nikki. I'm your host. And today, if you can't tell by that weird opening that we just did, um, that was my best worst um, Darth Vader impersonation um, because today... May the 4th be with you. Today, if you are listening on the release day, is May 4th, 2022. And if you do not know, today is the day where we nationally or internationally celebrate the release of one of the um, most well-known and uh, what is considered one of the most important films made of all time. Uh, created by a genius of his time, George Lucas. Uh, We today are going to be talking about the 1977 American epic space opera film, Star Wars. So as you guys know, I love to talk about old films, and uh, some of you guys who are listening to the podcast may be thinking to yourselves, well, you know, Star Wars is one of the most well-known films of all time. Um, You usually talk about films that people have not maybe watched, but I know a number of people who have never seen Star Wars. They see it, they see that there's sci-fi, there's shooting, there's lots of weird stuff going on, and they never approach it. And I have actually had a lot of people watch Star Wars with me by explaining to them that this is a soap opera. I mean, it's referred to um, anywhere that you look at it, it is called a space opera. And that is not referring to the fact that there's any songs involved. Space opera um, refers to um, the same thing as like soap opera or horse opera, which is another name for a Western. Um, they're all very, um, they there. there's romance, there's drama, there's intrigue, there's usually some kind of fighting and violence involved. Um, all of these things come together to make this sort of like operatic, like dramatic sandwich. And the space opera is something that um, kind of came out of this, Star Wars. Um, Previously, um, space films, there were a couple of space films that had been made before this, like 2001 A Space Odyssey and some other films made in the 50s, but space was a new frontier, um, literally and figuratively. So um, exploring space in a dramatic, fictional way um, was something that a lot of um, directors and producers had not quite delved into doing. And George Lucas had just finished working on American Graffiti, another film that we'll talk about pretty soon, which is a really good film. Um, And he was really impressed with Flash Gordon, but wasn't able to get the rights to produce Flash Gordon, was really disappointed in it. And so he started coming up with this weird idea. Um, He started around 1973, 1972, just coming up with like names, coming up with random places. Because if you know anything uh, anything about the star wars universe which you if you haven't seen it you may not know but the names they are really weird names but they all kind of have like this very uh um george lucas kind of luke skywalker um if i came up with a name like george ground runner um or like chris um, land flyer. Like that's the kind of names. Han Solo. Um, if I, if I was going to come up with a name, I would come up with a name like, uh, John Clearly or like, um, Eric Teapot. Uh, Maybe that's not a good one, but (laughs) he has a specific kind of way of creating names that sound otherworldly, but also sound very relatable. And they're not weird coming off the tongue. So he started coming up with this whole world. Now, as we know, this came out in 1977. And he started coming up with this stuff in 1973. Also started pushing treatments out to various studios. And the studios were like, I mean, this sounds cool, but like, I don't think this is us. This is for us. 
Um, and um, one fun fact is uh, Steven Spielberg said that at the early screening for this film, he thinks he was, I think he said he was the only one in the theater who actually liked it. Um, now, when it came out for commercial release, it was very popular, quickly became one of the first films that could be referred to as a blockbuster film. Um, but uh, to early critics, people who weren't really familiar with this style, because George Lucas felt like the stuff he wanted to come out with was kind of weird. Um, and for people who, you know, wanted to do regular films about regular people on regular land, um, this was weird. But of course, this ended up being one of the greatest and most well-known films ever known that has, um, that uh, this specific film, A New Hope, produced two sequels, two, uh, three prequels, um, four or five movies afterwards um, that were either spinoffs or like other sequels um, with new characters. And of course, we have The Mandalorian and we have uh, The Clone Wars, um, all of these other properties that have been created from this original first film that was originally just referred to as Star Wars. Um, later on, um, as the sequels came out, it was then renamed Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Now, one thing to note is right in the beginning of this film, it does say a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And you may have heard that multiple times. Um, that I always have to remind myself of that. And I think a lot of other people do too, because this does feel like a very futuristic film, something that's happening in the far, far future with all of these um, cool gadgets and like guns and fighter pilots and aliens and all sorts of things. But what we have to internalize is that if there are alien races out there that are living in other galaxies, it's very likely that they have all of these technologies and have had them for a long time. So while these things do feel futuristic to us, for these people in this story, these are a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Now, um, there is a lot of like space stuff in the film, but of course, as I'm telling you about the film, I can't really describe things in a space way. So I'm going to talk to you about them like I'm talking about any other movie, I'm talking about any other show. And as I talk to you about this film, you'll see it is a soap opera, even though it feels like you know, nerd culture, it is a soap opera for nerds. And I mean, not even for nerds, it's a soap opera for anybody. I mean, I do consider myself to be a little bit of a nerd. And I know a lot of people who consider themselves to be nerds now as well, too, as it's become more popular or more acceptable to be considered a quote unquote nerd. But back in the day when that was um, sort of a discriminatory or a derogatory term, uh, this would have been the nerd soap opera. This is like Knott's Landing. This is like Dallas. This is like As the World Turns, but with guns and um, lightsabers. Um, now, we're going to get into uh, talking about the characters pretty soon. Um, a lot of the lore behind this film, I don't want to go into too much of it because, as I did state, there are a lot of sequels. There are some prequels. There are some uh, spinoff films that explain a lot of what's going on. If you guys want me to go into like a full Star Wars sort of like overview of the land. I'm happy to do that if you just want to get the whole story out at one time. Today, I'm only going to be talking about A New Hope because it is the original first Star Wars film that gets the story going, gets you interested in the story. I do recommend watching the film for sure, and I know I always do this at the end where I'm like, you should go watch the film. The only place that you can watch it streaming, of course, is Disney Plus because they bought all of the Star Wars things. Um, if you own a smart TV or something that allows you to rent from the Netflix app, that still will allow you to rent films as if you're like renting a DVD. 
Um, I think you can rent Star Wars through the Netflix app. I don't think you can get it through Prime, and I definitely know it's not on any other streaming platforms. But I do recommend watching it if you want to watch like something fun. It's got some action. It's got some romance. got some drama. But I'm going to just talk you through the general plot so that you get an idea of what's going on. I know the names, the places, all that stuff can be very confusing. So I'm going to talk you through it so that you can kind of grasp where we're at, grasp how this story starts, and get why people are so into it. So I'm going to run you through like the main characters up top, and we're going to go through names and kind of, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a a layout of who they are. Not too much, because obviously we introduce characters as they come into the film, but um, I'm just going to give you a little bit up top. So let's go into these characters. So most of these actors, since this is a pretty well-known film, are known pretty well for doing this film. So I probably won't have to tell you too much about other films that they did, because they did this film. So first we have Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. Um, We have Harrison Ford as Han Solo. We have the late, great Carrie Fisher, rest in peace, as Princess Leia Organa of the planet Alderaan. Um, We have Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, He's the commander on the Death Star. Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, And they said that he was like amazing and knew exactly what to do with that role, which I mean, I can't think of anyone else who could have played old Ben. Um, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO. Um, they actually considered Mel Blanc for that role. Um, Mel Blanc being the voice of like Bugs Bunny and all of the other um, uh, Looney Tunes, a lot of other Looney Tunes characters. Um, but they said Anthony Daniels' voice was perfect, and I think it was. Obviously, these all feel perfect because this film is so um, old and well-received that it would be weird to think of anyone else playing these roles. But, I mean, you know, it feels perfect. Uh, Kenny Baker uh, played R2-D2. He actually played R2-D2 because he was three feet, eight inches tall. And um, he was the smallest guy that George Lucas has ever met. And so um, uh, the beeps and squeaks were from a sound designer, but there was actually a person in that R2-D2 suit because, you know, um, mechanical design for, you know, machines and robots was not that advanced in the 70s. Otherwise, I mean, they could have done all sorts of films at the time. But anyway, Peter Mayhew played Chewbacca, um, who is one of my favorite characters. He is seven foot three inches tall, which is why um, they wanted to cast him either for Chewbacca or Darth Vader. Um, And he chose to do uh, Darth, I mean, uh, Chewbacca because he wanted to be a hero in the story. Um, David Prowse plays the body of Darth Vader. And you may not be too familiar with David Prowse, but um, if you remember us talking about A Clockwork Orange, and I talked about how um, the gentleman in the wheelchair had like a a manservant, a man living in the house with him and sort of like a partner, but we don't really know how, what their relation is. Well, that manservant in the house was Darth Vader. Um, so, um, David Prowse, unfortunately, though, has a very, um, Southern accent, um, which has earned him, like, sort of a joke name, Darth, uh, Farmer, and, um, and the voice of Darth Vader, they originally wanted Orson Welles, uh, but, uh, George Lucas decided that the voice was a little bit too uh, recognizable and they wanted um, sort of like a new voice. And so they decided on James Earl Jones because at the time he was relatively less recognizable. However, as this film came out in 1979 and James Earl Jones was not credited for the being the voice of Darth Vader until 1983. So he went four years with no one knowing that that was his voice, which is really interesting because now it's one of the most well-known voices. I mean, it's 
between Darth Vader and Mufasa, James Earl Jones's voice is second to like Samuel L. Jackson and um, Morgan Freeman for like black voices that everybody recognizes. So it's really interesting. There are some other um, smaller characters as well, too, but those are the main ones that we'll talk about. And um, now we'll go ahead and, uh, since we have our players, as we always do, let's press play. As our film begins, a black screen with blue text, a long time ago in a galaxy far away. We get the grand John Williams music bursting in, that triumphant Star Wars music that we know, and um, of course, the scroll. We all know the Star Wars scroll, or maybe we don't all know, but every Star Wars film starts with a black screen with yellow text that scrolls across the screen so that we know what has happened up until this point. So because this is Star Wars, the first film, we're just given a little bit of back history of how we got to this point. Now, of course, as the films progress and as we go back in time for the prequels, um, those um, scrolls kind of just give us a recap of what's happened in the past films and what may have happened while we were gone. But that scroll is very important to the Star Wars films. And this is the scroll that we get. Episode four. A new hope. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil galactic empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Okay, so now the film actually begins after that scroll with hella chaos. We're on a ship where R2-D2, the little beepy trash can looking robot that's like silver and blue, and C-3PO, the gold, my money don't jiggle jiggle, it folds, robot. They're scooting around trying to figure out next steps, okay? This ship protects Princess Leia, and they're pretty sure that she's gonna get got this time. They've escaped the Empire a couple times because she is um, part of the uh, the Galactic Council, but she's also uh, secretly one of the rebel spies or part of the rebel the rebellion so um they've been looking for her this whole time the soldiers on the ship are doing a little best but it is not enough the stormtroopers have gotten in and they are pretty much wrecking house you have probably seen the stormtrooper outfit it's that white one with the big like penis tip looking helmet at the top and after they do their thing right um the asthmatic king comes in darth vader the ultimate penis helmet, the black one with the cape. So Vader tells the troopers to tear the ship apart until they find those Death Star plans because they got to be somewhere. They know the transmission came in. Meanwhile, R2-D2 goes beeping away, beep, boop, 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 with C-3PO in tow. He's talking about a secret mission. Now, R2-D2 beeps. Um, but because C-3PO is a robot and also versed in many languages, he can understand R2. We can't, but he translates quite a bit. So C-3PO is following him. Um, he's complaining about having to follow him, but he obviously does not know what else to do. So he keeps following. Leia in another corridor has fired on the stormtroopers and gets captured. So that gives the bots a time to get into an escape pod. Now, the Empire does not shoot the escape pod down because they don't detect any life forms on board because they're robots. So off they go. Leia insists that she's on a diplomatic mission, but Vader knows that she's gotten transmissions from somewhere, like they've seen it. And they can't find any transmissions on board, but they know they have to keep the princess as she's the only link to the rebels that they have, to the rebel army, and trying to figure out where the base is. 
Meanwhile, the bots, they crash land on this random planet that looks like an endless desert called Tatooine. Fun fact, Tatooine was originally supposed to be like a jungle planet, but they decided to change it um, because um, George Lucas wanted something that reminded him a little bit more of Dune. Anyway, our two beeps that they need to head towards these rocks but C-3PO is being a little bitch and he will not go. He's like, no, we're going this way. This is safer. R2 knows what's up. He knows what he's looking for. And so off he goes towards the rocks. C-3PO, in defiance, walks the opposite way. So now he's walking through the desert complaining that R2 tricked him into going the wrong way. When Anyway, until he turns around and he's relieved to see a transport. He starts waving it over. He's saved. The other way, R2-D2 is whistling his way, beep-boop, beep-boop, through this rocky path when these glowy red eyes appear from the shadows. Bam! Buddy gets stunned and disabled by the Jawas. Now, it sounds scary, but they're like these cute little thieves that, that kind of sound like minions, but cooler. And they have these little mini capes on, these um, uh, brown capes that are similar to what you'd see... We'll talk about it later. So he gets sucked up into this room that the Jawas have on their ship with a bunch of other robots, or the transport. And uh, surprisingly enough, R2 runs into his homeboy C-3PO, who thought he was being saved earlier. So while the stormtroopers show up on Tatooine to track where the pod went, because Darth Vader figured out, oh, well, that must be where the plans went, dodos. Like, why would you, anyway... But they can only follow the tracks for the ro- that the robots followed. So then the robot tracks obviously disappear because they were picked up by the transport. So it's actually kind of dope that they got droidnapped. And instead of being pulled for parts, like you might think, first the Jawas try to sell them whole to a family of moisture farmers. Um... And while he's kind of irritating, C-3PO proved to be quite useful. So they picked him up along with a red R2 unit. Now, I did. It's so funny because for a long time, I was like, what is a moisture farmer? But they literally live on a desert planet and they need people to farm moisture so that they can get water. It's really crazy. So um, they end up picking up C-3PO along with this red R2 unit. And R2-D2 is blue. And he looks like a sad puppy because they walking into the house and he trying he's getting left behind. But then the red R2 unit's motivator stops, which I can relate to. Happens to me all the time. But it makes him shut down. So C3PO basically puts in a referral for the little blue R2 unit. He's like, Yeah, I know him. He cool. You know, we ride together all the time. We don't work together for a minute. He cool. So they get to stay together. Yay! And they head in to make their introductions and get C-3PO in an oil bath. Uncle Owen has forced Luke to stay and help with the droids instead of being able to hang out with his friends. And when 3PO mentions that they've come from being part of the rebellion, Luke gets hype because he doesn't get to go do nothing. Tatooine is like small town USA. So the excitement of the rebellion feels like adventure. You know, he just wants to hear about it. And while he's hand cleaning the R2 unit, Luke accidentally triggers this weird malfunction and there's a holographic message of Princess Leia that pops out that says help me Obi-Wan you're my only hope before like shutting off and it keeps replaying over again but just that one part and Luke says she's beautiful and asks who she is the C-3PO says well you know I don't know she must she was just someone that was on the transport that we were on um her name is Princess Leia but she must have been important you know and Luke starts asking questions, and R2 beeps out something that must be kind of rude, because 3 3PO basically told him, like, you know, chill out, like, this is our owner now, he's cool. So 3PO translates to him that R2 says that this is a message for Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he needs to find Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is his new master. And Luke goes, well, I don't know an Obi-Wan Kenobi, but I know an old Ben Kenobi. You you think, Luke? I mean, at least the last names, babe. Like, they at least maybe they're related. Like, why would... Okay. So, um, R2 says that if he takes this little inhibitor thing off, that's like a kind of like a filter, he can play the whole message for him. 
So Luke takes the inhibitor off and R2 shuts the whole message off or he shuts the whole thing down. And he does not want Luke to get this info. The other thing that the inhibitor keeps him from doing is leaving. Keep that in mind. So Luke lives with his aunt and uncle because both of his parents died. Now, look, if you know anything about Star Wars, if you know the plot of the film, you know about the validity of that statement, but I'm here to give you the story as it is told, and as we know for right now, Luke's parents are unalive. Luke wants to head off to the Academy this year, but Uncle Owen needs him here for that harvest, so he promises he'll let Luke go next year. He promises Luke, and he promises Aunt Barry. And when he goes to sulk a little bit, his Aunt Beru says to Owen, he says, he's not, he's just not a farmer. He's got too much of his father in him. Well, that's what Uncle Owen is worried about. Luke just wants to get away, you know? So Luke heads back downstairs and C-3PO is hiding like a hit dog. R2-D2 has gotten out, out, out. And it's dark. It's too late to go look after him. And the it's a desert planet they don't just have like street lights in the desert so they have to wait to go look for him in the morning okay they head out super early in the cruiser to find him they end up spotting him but not before they get spotted by some sand people who try to raid the cruiser they pull off c-3po on and they leave luke passed out on the ground out of nowhere there's this howl this cloaked figure appears on the rocks and scares the sand people off. Figure comes down to check on Luke and takes his hood off. And Luke wakes up. He recognizes them. Ben? This is Ben Kenobi living in the Gentleman Wastes. And he mentions that his droid is uh, looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi and asks him if he knows him. Child, I wish you could see me rolling my eyes, but I know. Um, one of the reasons that George Lucas said that he ended up hiring uh, Mark Hamill for this role is because Mark Hamill said he really didn't understand any of the dialogue. So everything that he read, he read it very sincerely as if it just was what it was on the page because he didn't really understand what he was saying. And so that like, I wonder if this is, if Obi-Wan Kenobi is old Ben Kenobi. I know that like, Another person might have played that a little bit differently, but he literally plays it like he is wondering if he would know who that is. But of course, surprise, it is him. Obi-Wan and Obin are the same person. Well, they head in before the Sand people come back so and also so they can have a little bit of a chat. So after I hit some convo, Luke finds out that his dad was not a spice freighter like he's always thought, but he was one of the best starfighters in the galaxy. But Luke's uncle was scared that he would follow in his dad's footsteps and, you know, want to fight. Um, as a matter of fact, old Ben gives Luke his father's lightsaber and... This lightsabers are like an old Jedi weapon that have fallen out of existence since the rise of the Empire. Um, usually, you'll see people use um, guns, you know, um, shooters. But um, the lightsaber is a specific... I know that Star Wars is usually associated with lightsabers, but not everybody runs around with lightsabers in this universe. It's specifically something that people who are uh, Jedi or people who associate with the Jedi or people who are masters who have the ability to control the force, um, they use lightsabers. Through this convo, he also finds out that his father's life was taken by one of Obi-Wan's old pupils, Darth Vader. And it was his goal, uh, Darth Vader's goal, to destroy, destroy the Jedi because he was seduced by the dark side of the force. And if you've ever wondered what exactly the Force is, it's basically like harnessed energy. I know they now there's this whole thing about midichlorians and some stuff that they try to do with the pre... But the Force is pretty much just like the universe. The Force is what makes everything, everything. The way that we say, like, if you know anything about the, you know, Christian or Catholic religion, you'd say, like, may Allah be with you, may the, may the Lord be with you and also with you, um... They change it now. May the Lord be with you in your spirit or, you know. But anyway, 
may the Lord be with you. May the force be with you. Yeah, same, same. Well, I'm sure you're wondering what the message from the princess is now that we have our only hope, Obi-Wan. Basically, she says that she has plans to assist the rebellion, but as she's captured, she's placed the plans in the R2-D2 unit's memory to be discovered by the right parties. The droid needs to be taken to her home planet of Alderaan so Leia's father can remove the plans. But old Ben is, well, old, as his name would suggest, so he tells Luke that he's going to need to learn the ways of the Force so he can help. And Luke's uncle is basically burned into Luke's head at this point. So Luke is basically like, yo, I can't help you. I got responsibilities here. We got to harvest. I got a farm, babe. Farmers got farm. Haters gonna hate, you know? Um, Back on the Death Star, the head commanders are talking before Vader comes in and shares that the Emperor has just dissolved the bureaucracy and the Empire will be basically maintained by fear at this point. If you've watched any of the prequels or watched any of the older films or, you know, you'll know, you'll get a little bit of an idea of how this happens because they really give you a play-by-play of how these things occur. Um, the Galactic Senate and all that stuff like that. But anyway, the Rebel Army is dangerous, right? But the Death Star is said to stand up against any enemy. And while he bought that Death Star life, Vader quickly reminds them that the ability to destroy a planet is nothing compared to the Force. And one of these dumbass commanders basically says that he don't believe in the Force, child. Now, look, I only just met Vader five minutes ago, and I know that I'm not supposed to say nothing against what this man says, but these people up here like, mm, well, um, uh, the Force is stupid, so I don't know what you... Weird you should say that, sir, because Mr. Vader is literally about to choke your ass out from a distance. Force that hoe. How about that? I'm about to force you to stop breathing. Now what? And the only time that he stopped was when um the grandma told him to stop. So Darth was like, all right, well, I got stuff to do anyway. But he would have literally unalived that man if he had the chance. Back on Tatooine, they come outside and they see one of the Jawa vehicles murked, torn to pieces, boink. Old Ben is like, yo, this is not sand people. This is some other stuff. This is the Imperial Army, and they're probably here looking for the droids. Well, if they've traced the droids, they probably know who bought the droids. Um, that's a problem. So Luke leaves the droids with Old Ben, gets back in the cruiser, races back to the crib. It's smoking. And there's two boint, boint corpses skeletons laying right outside on the porch lord r.i.p uncle owen and up every day all they wanted to do was keep look up luke on the right up and up until they could get that boy to college but luke ain't got any reason to stay now because he, he gonna have moisture farm by himself no so child we going to Alderaan. first we gotta go to um mos eisley so they were driving through, and then this is sort of like the merchant town where people come through. It's like the, the so this is this planet Tatooine is off the beaten path. It's a desert planet. So a lot of people not coming here unless they really need a place to like hide or stay. They have this cantina there, and he they're going to go and look for a pilot that can get them to Alderaan at, in Mos Eisley. So it's like going to the city to find, you know, somebody to do some work. So they ride through and they run right into some stormtroopers who ask them for ID. But with a wave of his hand, Obi-Wan says, these are not the droids you are looking for. Stormtrooper goes, these are not the droids that we're looking for. Yes, Force, that's what I'm talking about. So we're here to find a pilot. We got to go to the cantina. And we hear the very famous cantina band play a song that I did not know was called Mad About Me, but it's the Cantina Band song. It's, it's a great song. You should go just look up the Cantina Band song from Star Wars. You've probably heard it parodied a lot of times. If you watch, you know, um, I don't know if y'all are um, Family Guy people like I used to be. I used to, I used to watch every episode of Family Guy. And I think there was a yearly Star Wars episode that they did. I, every season they came out with a new Star Wars episode. Um, so they have a lot of um, 
if you watched Family Guy, they've parodied a lot of this. So you're probably familiar with the Cantina Band and a lot of this stuff. But anyways, um, there are some very interesting characters here. This is like sort of the interplanetary landing spot. So there's like hella alien races represented here. I don't even want to call them alien because like they're alien to me, but you know, just multiple races from multiple planets on different galaxies represented in this space. Unfortunately, though, they don't serve droids, so C-3PO has to wait outside. Luke sits at the bar. This random dude walks up and says some random something in another language. Just blah, blah, you know, like it's literally in another alien language. Like, I'm not being rude. And Luke is like, okay. And this other dude comes over and he's like, he said he don't like you. Okay. And I don't like you either. Okay, sorry. I'll be careful. Dude says, you'll be dead. And tries to pop off on my boy Luke, who's not doing anything. Old Ben tries to do a little force work. And he's like, yo, you don't want to mess with him. But Buddy is too strong-willed because the force really only works on weak-minded people. So Obi-Wan got to cut that arm off with the lifesaver. Boop. Everybody in the go bar goes back to minding their business. No one cares when anything happens here. And Obi-Wan has found a tall, handsome first mate with luxurious chair hair named Chewbacca, who may be able to help get them on their ship. Chewie's captain is a handsome gentleman that goes by the name Han Solo. They need a fast ship, and he has the Millennium Falcon, a ship that made the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs. So, um... If I, basically, a parsec is about 3.2 light years. I think that's how it works. Um, so the way it works is I think whatever the Kessel Run is, supposedly, I think it takes 14 parsecs, which means if you did a normal Kessel Run, um, by the time that you got back to wherever you were, if you were on Earth, supposedly, it would be 42 years would have passed by the time you finished making the Kessel Run. Um, but the way that he's able to do it, because he can go faster, supposedly, it will only take him about 36 years to do the Kessel Run. But because we're thinking of it in like our years and not space years, they're referred to as parsecs versus light years. So one parsec is about 3.2 light years so it would take about 36 light years to do the Kessel Run. Um, it's very complicated. It makes my head hurt but that is what that means. I just need to explain it because they always talk about this is the Millennium Falcon is a ship that made the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs and you just need to know how to conceptualize what that means. It just means he is much faster. The, the Millennium Falcon is much faster. So anyway, um, Han Solo's down to do this little thing, but as soon as their mention of the Imperial Army comes up, the price goes up. Solo wants 10k up front. Luke is like, immediately no. We can do this ourselves. But Obi-Wan ain't dumb. He needs a fast ship and a pilot. And neither of them are pilots. Neither of them have a ship. So Obi-Wan offers 2K up front and 15K once they get there. I deal. Stormtroopers are inside scoping around though. So Luke and Obi-Wan dip hit the split quick. Han Solo is about to also go and get ready the ship ready when he stopped by this dude, this bounty hunter that named Graba that works for Jabba the Hutt. Apparently, Jabba the Hutt put a bounty on this man's head, and he can't even move around without eyes on him. Han basically has only one option at this point, so he keeps old boy talking just enough to get his hands on that blaster. Papa dead. Solo apologizes for the mess on his way out. Dips. Of course, everybody just go back and doing what they're doing, because don't nobody care. Luke and Obi-Wan sell Luke's little cruiser, since they're not going to be back, but it looks like and being followed. Meanwhile, Jabba's outside talking to Han. Now, Jabba has a bounty on this man's head, but they really chill. And Han basically had to drop a delivery load, basically because the Imperial Army boarded. Jabba wants his money, 
which Han will be able to give him if he could go on this little mission and get to 17K. So um, he let him go. They like friendly, like even though, you know, Jabba is kind of an asshole, it's like he respects Han because Han be about his money and that's it. Luke and Obi-Wan finally get to the ship, and Luke is talking mess, but they gots to go. Right before they can pull off, stormtroopers show up and try to stop them, but Han is a fast shot and gets that ship up and going. Luke is still talking mess, but he can't even drive a ship. So Han's like, yo, just go buckle up so we can go on and get light speed, get away from these um stormtroopers. Meanwhile, back on the Death Star, they've been mind-probing Leia to no avail, trying to get this information about where the, the rebel base is. She ain't giving up the info for nobody. So they decide to set a course for Alderaan. Leia's holding it down, even as she's scheduled for execution. Still, they gather her for a little show. Testing the true power of the Death Star, they point it directly at Leia's home planet of Alderaan. If she would only reveal the location of the rebel base, they shoot there. Well, she finally tells them, okay, the rebel base is on Dantooine. Not Tatooine, Dantooine. Yay! Well, not really yay, because this is the evil-ass Imperial Army. So you think they not gonna shoot? This is her home planet. Like, they are gonna, they see this is hurting her. They point and eviscerate it. One shot. Leia has to watch her planet disappear in seconds. Ben felt it. He felt a disturbance in the force. But they're on their way to Alderaan, right? And Luke is on board trying to get a little force training in. Han Solo says he doesn't believe there's an all-powerful thing controlling the universe because he controls his own destiny. But Luke has to figure this thing out regardless, child. Old Ben puts a helmet with a blast shield on Luke so he can't see and tells him to try to hit this floating ball thing. Kind of like, it's like a high-tech pinata, but instead of candy, it shoots at you. And you got to, like, use the lightsaber to deflect the shots instead of trying to hit it so you can get the candy out. Somehow, with this helmet on where he can't even see, he blocks. Woo! He's learning. The Force is crazy. Okay, so finally they get to Alderaan, and they find, well, okay. So they get to where Alderaan should be. And there is nothing. They think it's an asteroid shower at first, but no. Like, this is literally just pieces of Alderaan floating around. It's been eviscerated. Then they see a ship from an Imperial fleet that's flying towards this, like, random moon that they have no idea what it is. They realize a little too late it is not a moon. It's a space station. And they have no idea that they're flying directly towards the Death Star. And by the time they try to reverse out of there, the station has already pulled them in with a tractor beam. And they have to go. The tractor beam pulls you in. It's like a magnet, pretty much. So they get there. They check the ship. No one's on the ship. They must have slipped out through an escape pod right after they took off. But regardless, Darth Vader wants this ship checked thoroughly. Because he feels a presence that he hasn't felt in a while. Hmm. Wonder what that presence is. So the stormtroopers check the ship thoroughly. No one there. Multiple times. Or is there? If only they had checked the secret smuggling compartments in the floor. <laughs> so they come up with a plan. First, they take out two workers carrying a heavy load onto the Millennium Falcon. Then they ask the two stormtroopers guarding the ship for help, as if they were those two workers. Then they take those stormtroopers out and put on their uniforms. Then when one of the troopers motions to mission control that his head spit set speakers out, they open the door, the rest of the team comes blasting in, and Luke, at this time, is still complaining about Han Solo saying he too loud, he be shooting too much, he be doing too much. Boy, if you don't shut up and let this man do what he do, child... R2 links into the mainframe with his beep boop bop arm, and they're able to ID the beam that's holding the ship there so they can turn it off. But they just need to disable power in that specific part of the ship. And Obi-Wan is going to have to do it by himself, but he tells Luke that the Force will be with him always because Obi-Wan already know what's up. He already know what's going to happen, child. 
After he leaves, R2 starts beeping about how she's here. And of course, he means Princess Leia. Luke is hyped because he's been wanting to see this girl since he's seen a little um, hologram. And when he hears that she's scheduled to be terminated, he's like, no, we got to go save her. Han Solo, who was just talking about how they need to leave this place as soon as possible. Now he's like, no, I'm staying here. I'm not. And I'm especially not going to the detention area where the prisoners are held to save a princess that I don't know. Until Luke brings up the fact that princesses got money. And if he saved his princess, he could probably get no money. Child. So now he down, of course. So they put some handcuffs on Chewbacca. They pretend he's a prisoner. And all dressed up as stormtroopers, they take him down to the holding area, the detention area. Now, all this time, Obi-Wan hiding and scooting around, trying to find the power source. But game recognized game. Force recognized force. Vader can sense him somehow because there's a tremor in the force. And they all swear that all the Jedi are extinct, but Vader knows Obi-Wan is here and I got to go face him alone. It's the only choice we have. Luke and Han get their, quote, prisoner downstairs, and everybody looks, obviously, like they weren't expecting a prisoner, so they have to verify. Chewie lets out a, Chewie howl, and Luke and Han pretend that they're trying to get the prisoner, but they just start shooting, and they shoot every guard down in there. Now, I know that this is a pretty well-contained operation and, like, they're on a, in a floating space station in the middle of space. But for some reason, it just don't seem like they hired enough people to block the area where the prisoners are. There was only, like, five people down there. Um, so that was weird. But so they shoot all of them. So Luke goes to rescue Leia while Han stays behind to keep that area under control. They call down to make sure everything is okay because obviously there was a bunch of shooting and cameras got shot out, all sorts of stuff. Han is stuttering, but then he's like, yeah, everything is okay. And then goes, how are you? Of course they're going to send somebody down, stupid. So Luke goes in to get Leia. And the first thing she says, so she sits up and kind of like leans on her side. And Luke has on his mask, so you can't really see the look on his face. But his body suggests that like he's quite surprised to see this pretty princess in here. And she sits up on her side and goes, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Now, I know that she is a sassy little princess. And she did not play. But girl, you are literally about to die. You better chill. And then also, I'm here to save you. You don't even know that. And I know she don't know that at this point. And so she's just trying to get a little digs in wherever she can. But okay, I can't control my height. Okay, so now she does a little, aren't you little story for a Okay, so Luke gets her out. But now they got shooters coming for him. Look. Not, okay, not really, because one notorious fact about stormtroopers, they cannot shoot. There's like so many of them, and every every time there's so many stormtroopers, and they will be shooting at one person, and none of them gets a shot off, and that person shoots like three bullets and can shoot 10 stormtroopers. I don't even understand how it works. Um, They're horrible at their jobs. I guess they don't feel like they really will ever have to do a job, except for if they face someone from the rebellion. But, like I said, not one shot. They radio into C-3PO to find out escape options, but he's like, yeah, there's only literally the main entrance. There's no other way for, place for you to go. So Leia, thinking quickly, leads them to the garbage chute, which Chewie does not want to go down because it's thanks, and I know he got that luxurious hair all over his body, but they got to get out of there. So down in the trash area, Han goes down last because he's their shooter and he has to make sure they all got down before he went, even though Leia actually got some shots off too, because she's a good shooter. He gets down there and thinks he can shoot them out um, through like the pressure lock door, but the laser bullet situation just bounces around out there for a while. And Luke ends up seeing a weird eel-like thing with an eye briefly swimming around in the water before it pulls him under. 
They're trying to shoot it. They can't shoot it. But then it abruptly lets go. And there's a weird moment of quiet right before there's a creaking noise and the trash area starts to compact. The walls are closing in and fast. They try to jam the walls, but they're strong, of course, because they're meant to squash anything. It's a trash compactor. Now, they're calling for 3PO in the main area, but 3PO and R2-D2 have been sort of caught. So they pretended that they'd been locked in the closet, and somehow these dumbass stormtroopers just believe them. And then, even though they tell one of the stormtroopers to stand guard, T-3PO says that R2 circuits are all wonky because of all the excitement, and they need to go to maintenance. And he just he, he just lets them go. It's just no problem. Okay. It's great. So they find another place to patch back into the frame at another port, and now R2 has access again. C-3PO had turned off his speaker. I mean, not being dumb. He turned off the speaker because the people was coming in, and they would have been able to hear it. But then he remembers, oh, I got to turn back on my speaker. So he turns back on, and they literally yelling down there. And um, please turn off this trash compactor. And they get it turned off within seconds to spare, with seconds to spare. And they start cheering so loudly down there that three PO literally thinks that they're dying, but they're okay. And R two is able to open the hatch door so they can get out. Somehow, even after all this, they have escaped death together. They have helped each other out. Um, Han and Leia start arguing as soon as they get out the room. And Leia kind of wants to lead the group because that's her thing. She's a leader. She's probably a Virgo. But Han doesn't listen to anybody, bro. He is for himself. He said this many times. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan snuck over to the main power grid that has to be turned off. And it's on this, like, rounded, elevated um, platform with the smallest walkway ever that is many, many, many miles from the ground. And if you fail, it would not be good for anybody. He has to scale this perimeter like freaking Mission Impossible style in this long brown robe because he did not put on a stormtrooper outfit. He is straight Jedi till he died. Well, the gang ends up getting spotted and they split up. Han literally goes chasing after stormtroopers and ends up in a group of them. He stays shooting with Chewbacca close behind. Meanwhile, Luke and Leia take a wrong turn and they end up on a platform that drops off into nothing with no connecting bridge. They get shot at, but then Luke decides to take out his tether rope and swing across. And Leia kisses him on the cheek for luck. And they make it. It's great. So everybody's just trying to get back to the ship in their own little ways. Obi-Wan finally runs into Darth Vader. Vader says the last time they saw each other, he was the pupil. Now he is the master. Obi-Wan says he's the master of evil. Ooh. And a lightsaber fight commences. So Vader's saber is red, as they are when you're part of the Empire, when you're evil. And Obi-Wan's saber is blue, pure. Vader says he's weak. But Obi-Wan says, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could ever imagine. Okay, I feel you on that, Obi-Wan. I got it. So now, the gang finally meet up just in time to see the stormtroopers guard and the Falcon run off. And they go out to get on the ship, and they spot the fight going on with Old Ben and Vader. Obi-Wan sees Luke. He smiles, like, very slightly, knowingly. He closes his eyes and puts the saber in front of him, resigning to his fate. And as Vader takes a swift uh, move of his saber to cut him down, Obi-Wan's body just disappears, just vanishes like 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 Michael Jackson at the beginning of the Remember the Time video when he was when he just dropped down and then became a sand person and came back up. That wasn't Michael Jackson. I guess it was. It was just the man in the black cloak. But anyway, basically he just disappeared. Okay. That's what's up. Um Obi-Wan did his job, but they gotta go. Um, so off they go. They get on the ship. He done disabled the thing, so the ship is able to take off. Luke is hurt, hurt, because this is Ben, who he had not been talking to before, like two days before this, but now Ben is the only dude that he had, dude that told him about his family, dude that told him about the Force, but he don't have time to mourn because the fighters are coming, so they have to man these guns. 
honestly, this specific part looked fine. Because I'm not good at video games at all. But this is like one of those like motion shooter games. Like if you went to like um, um, Chuck E. Cheese or like Dave and Buster's. And then you get in one of those motion machines where you can shoot and the machine moves around. It's like that. But like they're shooting at a ship. Also, they somehow evade all of them. Yay, because Luke, he's really good at shooting. He's also... Seems to be really good at, he's just good at things without knowing that he's ever going to be good at them. So they evade them, but it's not all the way by chance. They've put a homing beacon on the ship so they can locate them wherever they go. Of course, they're not dumb. Leia even tells Han as much, but Han is sure that they're not being tracked. She tells him that it's not over yet, but for Han, I mean, he's like, yeah, it's over for me, babe. I just want to get my man teased. And Leia tells him that if the money is the only thing that he loves, he'll get it. Ooh, she she don't like that. So Luke comes in, asks Han what he thinks of the princess. And Han says, well, I'm trying not to. And Luke goes, good, with this little satisfied look on his face. So Han is like, okay, well, so he goes, you know, I do wonder if you think a princess and a guy like me and Luke, says no just before he can even finish absolutely not let that's luke's boo he's like i don't even don't even say what you about to say because no thank you so they land on the moon um of a planet called yavin where the rebel base is and of course here come vader and this big ass death star following right behind them meanwhile they finally get to look at the intel that r2 has been holding this whole time which is the death star layout now, the Death Star is almost impenetrable, except one little area that if you shoot it, will take the whole thing out. But it's just one little area, two meters wide, and could be accessed by a one-man shooter since the Death Star is designed for a large-scale attack. But it requires a precise hit exactly in the spot where, say, you can hit it. So Luke is going up with R2, and he even runs into one of his homeboys from Tatooine Biggs, but as expected, um, Han has gotten his reward, and he is dipping. Luke tries to convince him to stay, but he's not dumb. He has debts to pay, and he's like, I can't pay my debts if I'm dead. Now, clearly, you don't have debts if you're dead either, but he's like, yo, I can't, I can't do nothing with my money if I die. So he hits Luke with the, may the force be with you, when he's going off to, um, fight but he's still finna dip leia's like you know what he has to follow his own path whatever that is you can't force him to want to be a good guy and when luke says that he misses ben leia gives him a little kiss on the cheek also side note obi-wan now just talks to luke in his head sometimes he just says things about using the force he says that a lot he doesn't really say he did tell him one time like get back to the ship or something like just gave him an instruction but most of the time his instructions are use the force so there's two teams that's going out there it's the red team and the gold team um the gold team is like the first response team and then the red team is like the if the gold team failed and the red team gotta go in all right luke is red five great so as suspected the ships their ships are so small that they can evade the death star lasers because you know, they're they're teeny tiny. Now, they only have about seven minutes to destroy the Death Star or the Rebel base is going to be obliterated. They got a team going in to find this spot. And do you know that Vader done got himself in a fighter plane and is out there shooting? Like, he, he was like, I'm going to go out there and see what this is about. So, I can't, it's hard to properly narrate how nerve-wracking this, this run is, this this maneuver is but the gold team goes in 3d red is hanging back first dude is taken out okay second dude is taken out okay gold leader makes the shot misses just hits the surface does not get the spot then he loses his starboard engine goes down gone so now red team has to go in damn Luke is the shooter in the front. One ship pulls back. All right. One ship is taken out. Luke is by himself. 
and they literally have 30 seconds at this point. Vader, from his ship, you can hear him say, the force is strong with this one. Hey! Right when Luke can hear Obi-Wan in his head telling him, use the force. Well, say less, Obi-Wan. Buddy turns off his targeting computer completely and just goes raw dog, straight force. No help, no protection. R2 has even gotten fried at this point, so he don't even got R2 for help. Right when Luke is about to get shot, Guess who swooped they ass in and shoots the plane? Han Solo takes two of the attacking planes out and then blows one of them spinning into space. And just as they're preparing to blow up the rebel base, they're literally flipping switches. The whole Death Star goes up into a beautiful explosion that looks like fireworks and stars. It's gorgeous. Yes. But unfortunately, Darth Vader... It's still alive and spinning in space somewhere instead of being unalive with everybody else on the damn ship. But I suppose that is how we got the sequels. But still, no. But it's a victorious day. And as our heroes return, they're granted with medals of bravery and a ceremony being honored by all the soldiers of the rebellion. Out of all those people that went out, including Luke's homeboy from back on Tatooine, the only people that came back, the only anythings that came back are Luke, Han Solo, and Chewbacca. Oh, and R2 is okay, too. They got him reprogrammed. C-3PO is chilling, too. And to be fair, the only reason that Han was able to help and come and was able to get back is because he left. It wasn't out there with them because every other pilot that went out there went down except for Luke. And in the end, Chewie says the most all-important last line of the film. Like, wait, how can it? Roll credits. Now, this film was, of course, followed by The Empire Strikes Back in 1980 and Return of the Jedi in 1983. Um, and then the prequels came out in the early 2000s and the later sequels came out in the uh, 2010s, of course. Uh, now, one of my, my actual... A favorite Star Wars film, um, I will tell you, is a standalone film uh, that came out called Rogue One. It came out in 2016, and uh, they basically made a whole film to answer the question, why would there be a spot in the Death Star that makes it completely destroyable? Why would you put a kill switch on something that you want to be this impenetrable space station. And it's been a question that people have asked for years and years since that first film came out because it was sort of like, why would that happen? And Rogue One, a beautiful film to me created in 2016, I think is mostly beautiful. And I laughed sort of, I chuckled my way through it because it was like they they use an extensive plot that still follows the canon of all the other films that really does explain how this one spot ended up existing. Watch it. Just watch it. If you got any kind of joy from Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or The Matrix or, I don't know, The Fast and the Furious, any kind of character-built worlds where there's a whole bunch of drama, but there's romance and there's action and there's suspense and there's shooting and death and I promise you once you figure out where you are in the Star Wars world you can work your way out and it's very enjoyable you fall in love with the characters you fall in love with the story you fall in love with these places um these cool languages I promise you once you get into the story it's easy to follow this probably will become a yearly thing when uh, next year comes, you may get episode five and then episode six the following year. But I hope you enjoyed this retelling of episode four, Star Wars A New Hope. 
If you don't know anything about Star Wars, if you weren't really familiar, I hope that you got a little something out of this. And if you were familiar with the Star Wars universe, I hope that I made you kind of proud. And I hope I didn't miss too much. Please don't fault me if I did. I tried to tell the story as best I can in an hour time frame. But uh, that is all the time that we have for today. Next week, as you guys may know, we will be back with part two of Gone with the Wind. Uh, I may actually extend the series out to a third episode because it is very long. And considering we'll be doing the second part as well as kind of doing our commentary, it may get a little hefty. So we may do part two of three or part two of two of Gone with the Wind. We'll see. But um, I'm really excited uh, to get back to it. And please follow the podcast on whatever platform you use, rate wherever available. Check out the Halef Pod Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at film underscore Nikki and send any collab requests, advice, movie recommendations, or general greetings to Here's Looking Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and if I don't see you, may the fourth be with you. Cheers.